Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. ROI Online offers content marketing, email marketing, social media marketing, web and mobile design, and more for businesses of all sizes. As your business development partner and marketing agency, they help you tell your story. Learn more at ROIOnline.com. Today's guest is Linda Hughes. Linda has been part of the local theater scene since the 1970s, and she's been a true pioneer in bringing children's theater to Amarillo. After directing the Amarillo Little Theater Children's Theater Academy for several years, she founded in 1983 the Amarillo College Theater School for Children. It's also known as ACTS. Now, Linda retired from that in 2004 only to start directing the Summer Youth Musical, which she's done ever since, and then in 2011 launched and directed the Amarillo College Conservatory Theater for Young Actors. In 2014, she was named the Amarillo Globe News Woman of the Year, Uh, and this month, in May, Linda is retiring from Amarillo College from her theater work over decades and decades, which gave us an opportunity to reflect on her long career and the arts in Amarillo. Here's Linda Hughes. Linda Hughes, uh, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. So I, I want to talk about uh, your work with Children's Theater. I want to talk about you know what you've been doing the last few years with the AC Conservatory sure. Theater, and then sort of easing out of that, you know, as as you move on to the next stage of of what you're going to do within the arts community. But I know you have a pretty fascinating story before you even got to Amarillo. So. Um, let's let's go back and, and kind of tell me where you grew up and then how you ended up in this community in the first place. Okay. Well, actually, I was born and raised here. Okay. My grandfather was a doctor here, ear, eye, nose, and throat. And so I grew up here, which has been a privilege, you know, uh, sometimes trying, obviously, because there are some things that a person can't do here, but there are more things that can. That's what drew me back here. So I was born and raised here and. Um, have lived here for mm, on and off for 75 years. Can you believe it? 75 years. I Come can't on. believe that. What what school <laughs> did you go to? I went to Wolflin Elementary. Okay. I went to Austin Junior High School, Amarillo High School before it burned and was moved. The original. The original. High school. And my entire family graduated from Amarillo High School except my son, and he went to Cascosa. Okay. And so tell me, as you know, a, a young person growing up here. Once you got out of high school, you started looking at what you're going to do as a career. What what choices did you make at that point? Well, actually, I had been smitten early on by um, the art of figure skating. And my mom and dad used to take me to the touring companies that would come through here. And by age seven, I was so hooked on the fact that I was going to be a figure skater that they were just you know, finding ways to say, now, Linda, this is not really uh, feasible. We have no eyes. I was going to say, here. were there places to figure No, there were out? not. But the, I was so smitten by it that, that we discovered places. Um, by the time I was 13 going on 14, they did bring in to the old tri-state fairgrounds, um, to that arena out there, they put in Grady Fox, put in a figure skating arena. And I started my career there. Was it permanent, or was it, it was just a, a seasonal? Permanent, kind of? No, it was it was permanent. And we had a um, hockey team out there. They did everything. Um, it was fascinating because I really truly started training and didn't stop until I was sixty five years old wow. skating. Yeah, 
so tell me what what happens um you know as a burgeoning figure skater you're you're in say your teenage years and you're yeah. training here what opportunities are available once you graduate from high school well um i trained all the way through high school and then went off to the university well i, I spent two years here at amarillo college which i loved in my uh, freshman and sophomore year and then I transferred to the University of Denver so I could continue my figure skating because I was kind of having to go every place, you know, after high school to get uh, ice surfaces because it, it had left us at mm-hmm. the, at the uh, Tri-State Fair. We don't have frozen ponds around here. No, even though we to. did that in the winter sometimes, which was fun. But I went to the University of Denver. And then immediately upon graduation there, I went to San Francisco and auditioned for Shipstead and Johnson's Ice Follies. Luckily, yeah. Okay. Uh, I got in, thank heavens, because I was very tall. You know, I'm I'm five ten, and <clears throat> on a good day, I weighed. I wasn't real heavy. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. A lot of muscle, so I was kind of like a string bean. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But they did accept me at the audition, which was grueling because I had to audition in front of the entire company mm-hmm. in Denver, Colorado. It was scary, scariest thing in the world. Um, actually, I went to Denver as my first site. I auditioned in San Francisco. So, and tell me, tell me, this was in the '60s, is yeah. that right? So, yeah. for people that you know aren't familiar uh, with the concept, and maybe they know Ice Capades or they know Disney sure. on Ice, you sure. know something more recent. Tell me what what those shows were and what that was like. It was an absolutely fabulous experience. Um, life lessons all along the way. We uh, traveled by train, mm-hmm. and uh, the Shipstads and Johnsons, there was the first company out. They had been skaters themselves and traveled with us. So it was a pretty new concept. Um, it wasn't a new concept. It was something that they had been doing for a while. But that's basically, we call it the granddaddy of the figure skating shows, of the ice skating shows or companies on tour, because they were the ones that established the formula for success. Okay. And um, I was lucky enough to get with that company. It was so much fun. And it was so tiring because we would spend all summer training and putting the show together in San Francisco. They had um, an arena on Fillmore Street, which now if you went to Fillmore Street, you say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you were there. But guess what? It was a fabulous old building. And uh, that's where we put the show together. And then we immediately took it on the road from there, and we went all the way down the West Coast, all the way up into Phoenix and down in that area. Then we would travel up into Canada. So we were in the U.S. and Canada for uh, 11 out of the 12 months. And how many shows would you do in those 11 or 12 months? Uh, One every day and two on Saturday and two on Sunday. Wow. So we were on the ice all the time. We were in very good shape, obviously. Um, you know, I was working with Donald Jackson, who is the Olympic gold medalist. You know, we were working with people of that caliber because they gravitated toward the ice follies because it was the granddaddy, truly, of the of the traveling companies. How long did you do that? Uh, two and a half years. Okay. I was on the road two and a half years. And after that, you become weary, you know, uh, you really do, because, first of all, your body gets tired yeah. because you have just pounded yourself on the number of shows and in all the rehearsals because we would have dance class, you know, on Saturday mornings. So it was it was fascinating. And traveling to all these different cities. Like we were in New York City for three weeks. We were in Philadelphia. We were in, you know, New Haven, Connecticut. We were in Los Angeles. We were everywhere, all the big metropolitan areas. And then we went to some smaller venues also. 
Tell me about the point where uh, you started. I, I can imagine at that point you thought, okay, this is my career. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, was there a point where you started thinking, okay, this may take too much of a toll on my body. This may be too hard to perform every day, 11 months out of the year for the rest of your life. So when did you start to think about doing something different or returning to Amarillo? Tell me about that process. Well, actually, I just knew. And I'm kind of like that. I've always known when it's time to move forward or away from something. Um, And my body really was tired. And I had been diagnosed with hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar, ran in my family. And it began to kind of take its toll because... You know, we would have to eat at weird times, and mm-hmm. I needed to feed my body, which I did, and I took very good care of it. Um, we had to. We had weigh-ins, and they would weigh us in. And if we were heavier than what our sign weight was, then we were suspended. So mm-hmm. you didn't do that. But it's not like the gymnastics programs where, you know, and some of the other dance programs and where um, you just have to eat so so frugally in a way, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain things that they want you eating and stuff like that. But you do have we like it off. We people burned. lifting you over their heads oh, and yeah. things and like that. So it matters. And you have to stay in shape and you have to stay in shape for, you, you know, your figure skating partner, your skating partner or the other girls around you. And also to fit into the costumes because the wardrobe mistresses are something else on tour. <laughs> so when when you started to get to that point, yes. um, was it natural for you to return to Amarillo, or did you consider something else? Well, I had been offered a job with a company in San Francisco, okay. and um, I really was considering taking that, but I wanted to come home and rest for just a little bit. Interestingly enough, um, my family is very, 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 very close. We had roots here, you know, and absolutely adored my mom and dad. They treated me well always. And that was a factor to come back here to recuperate. Well, I came back to recuperate and uh, found out that they were building the arena at the Civic Center, the new one. Mm -hmm. And some people approached me and said, would you be interested in teaching figure skating here for a while? And I thought, Mm, I could be home. I could be, you know, saving quite a bit of money because at that time you're young and you need to, you know, even though I had graduated from college and and had degrees that I could use past the figure skating time of my life, you know, you kind of want to make sure that you have something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I could do that for a while. Well, a while turned into (laughs) longer than that which is fine because I met Wayne, my husband, and, you know, all sorts of really wonderful things happened to me here. And I started giving back to the community, which I really liked and still do. So tell me how how that job uh, or that opportunity to teach figure skating sort of turned into your involvement in the larger arts community well, in Amarillo. Be, okay. My grandmother was best friends with Omar Rowley, who's the founder of Amarillo Little Theater. Their husbands were doctors, and so they were in all of these doctor, wives, auxiliaries, you know, mm-hmm. and things. And um, they were best friends. Um, Oma had, when we were kids, Oma would take us to different places to give us theater training and mm-hmm. also taught us diction classes, my cousins and I, because my grandmother wanted us to speak correctly. So we were introduced to Oma at a very early age. So I had always um, really admired my grandmother's talent she was a scenic painter mm-hmm. for Oma over at okay. the building. So um, I got involved over there with her and started taking classes at a very young age here. 
um, at drama teens and all the way through that whole thing. So I really had a theater background with my figure skating. Right. So it was really an easy transition. Because when I came back, I started working at ALT, and I did every single show I could get my hands on, you know, as an actor and, you know, was working backstage. Every single thing I could and finally worked for Peter Fox as his executive secretary. From there, you know, was asked to, when one of the staff left to take a job in Austin, they asked me to take over the Children's Theater Academy, and that's how it all transitioned. Before we talk about children's theater, I, I understand that at one point you shared the stage with Ann B. Davis. I did. Of the Brady Bunch. I did. And that was in Amarillo. Yes. Amarillo. And I so how did, tell me how someone like that ended up performing here in Amarillo, because that was post Brady Bunch, right? Yeah. Amarillo Little Theater had a guest artist program, and every year they would bring in someone to do uh, one production. John Wayne's son was here. I mean, you name it, they were here. And Ann B. had been asked to come and do a show called The Nearlyweds that Stephen Schwartz had written for her. And it was only four characters. Oh, my gosh. So I auditioned and was cast as her daughter. Mm -hmm. um, Jim Caldwell and Jim Goodhue were the other two in the cast. Oh, my goodness. It was... Um, it was an interesting adventure because Anne was a wonderful mentor, wonderful mentor. I was her daughter, as I said, and I was on stage with her 72 minutes without a break. I was her straight person, mm -hmm. giving, throwing the lines so then she could do her signature mug and also throw her lines, you know, in her signature way. And I have a funny story about this, if you want Tell to hear it. Tell it. Okay. I, I am a child of the 70s, and so okay. the Brady Bunch was like my constant companion as I was growing up. So Alice well, feels like, you know, my grandmother slash caretaker already. I know, you know, I know. And she was she was a fabulous person and a fabulous friend. And we kept in touch. Um, so it was so it was nice. Tell me, tell me your story about her. Okay. <laughs> One of our characters had a tendency, and I'm not going to say who. It wasn't me had a tendency to fall into the same vocal pattern as Ann Davis. Well, she had developed that over a number of years, working with Robert Cummings and all these other people, and the, the, the way that she had kind of made herself who she was. So she came in, um, and she was in rehearsal with us for two weeks. We had rehearsed the show and, you know, done all the blocking and everything else, and we blocked her in. Immediately, she looks at this person, and she says, I am telling you this now. And there was this smile, you know, and uh, she said, I worked hard to mug. I worked hard for my vocal pattern. And you, young man, will not be taking it from me. And it was just dead quiet. And then all <laughs> of us were going, oh, we're going to be afraid of this person. <laughs> really, really, we're going to be afraid of this person. Turned out not to be. But in no uncertain terms, was that going to be compromised? That was her. She had developed it. It was hers. And so the whole show took a different turn and from she, that but point. But she's the visiting artist. I mean, she is the visiting artist. Her, so. And you do that and you respect that. And we did. And the show was so much fun was very well written and she took it on tour you know she took it on tour after that and to Oklahoma City and places you know tell me about transitioning then you know from that sort of environment to working with children was was that something that came natural to you or was that a shift that you had to make 
you know, from performing for yourself, sure. performing on stage on sure. the ice, to here working with you know these smaller yeah. actors and actresses yeah. and teaching them to perform. True. What was that like? Well, interestingly enough, when I was fourteen, I took a job with the YWCA and worked with young people over at Elwood Park mm-hmm. for in their program. I've always worked with kids for as long as I can remember. It was a very easy transition. Um, when they asked me, I was at Emerald Little Theater having worked, you know, and I, and I was academy director over there. And then um, they be, they got into kind of a financial strait, and Wendy Marsh and Dale Roller asked if I would start a program here at AC. And that's the easy transition because, you know, I was asked to come and do that. I did that and was here for 21 years with, with the, the theater school for children. Amarillo has such a strong arts community. Yes, indeed. You know, the, the people who are performing on stage at ALT now yes. performed for you as kids. Yes. They performed at the Academy as kids. I mean, they've been in this for a long yes, time. Yes, long time. Um, tell me about how this community sort of fosters that kind of talent and, and that kind of outlook for people. Well, number one, I think all of us who work with those young people genuinely love kids. That's the key. And then we encourage their growth in the theater because we love the theater and we don't push it on them. We present it to them and then they make choices. But I think that we have grown talent here because we genuinely enjoy seeing that develop, that talent in those kids develop. And yes, there is a lot of talent in this community, but it's because we care Mm -hmm. and all of us care. I know Jason Crispin very well, you know, of the other people with whom, you know, I work with who work within the community, Matt Payne, um, who is, is new with us at the conservatory, and Jamie, and all of the people who we've worked with. We all care. Tell me about the, because obviously Jason Crispin is, is very high profile. The stuff sure. that the Academy does is high profile. Having two children's theaters, yes. you know, sort of operating at the same time. I know yours started when ALT was sort of on the wane, and then it has mm-hmm. built up. Mm-hmm. How do you work with each other? How do you cooperate? I mean, what are what are the the differences between the two different programs? Well, and that's that is the key. They're just different. Jason has a really good performance venue. You know, he has space to where he can he can do those performances for those kids. We're doing that too, but on a conservatory in, in a conservatory frame of mind. So we're absolutely totally different at this point. So explain that conservatory frame yeah, of mind. Then. Right now, the conservatory frame of mind is that we do single subject teaching. In other words, we will take improvisation, we will teach improvisation, and master that before we move on. It is not a general theater study program. Okay. It is subject specific, and then we we do showcases. Um, which showcase the kids' talent in a different way. It's um, it's true conservatory training. Now, you've been a performer in Amarillo since the 60s, mm-hmm. and then you've worked with so many different performers. Tell me about the arts within this community, because that's one thing that people who don't really know Amarillo are surprised about. We have an opera. We have a symphony. We have you know these theater programs yeah. that are so successful. And yet we're in this isolated place, relatively small population. Why has the arts, I mean, having been a part of it for so many years, why has the arts developed into such a robust part of the city? Well, first of all, I think it's necessary. I don't think life is full or or finished until you have either been a presenter, like most of us that I run with, or you have been in the audience. Um, It both have benefits. But it is very exciting 
to be a part of the community and watch the growth and have been fortunate enough, you know, in my lifetime to have worked with every single arts entity here in some form or fashion. So I can kind of speak about it. Um, I just feel like art brings a story, brings a message. It can teach. It does teach. We have to be open to that learning. And I think because of that, um, with the variety that is presented throughout our year, if you look at the seasons for next year, there is such a variety. There is so, There are so many choices. Sometimes I think too many. But if we didn't do so many, then the varied kind of likes and dislikes mm-hmm. of our viewing audiences would not have that choice. I think we've given them a choice in the city of Amarillo. And I have, I've been in Austin. My, my daughter-in-law has an opera company down there. There, you know, and I have witnessed what happens down there. It's a very diverse community. And when they hear from me about how many arts entities are doing well or, you know, in growth patterns, they truly are amazed because of our population. Luckily, nearly all of us have been well supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's because we offer diverse seasons. We are all diverse in the way we present them. You know, there is really no overlap. Our commonality of our taking from one another, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to explain. But there is in some a crossover way. between the two. But I mean, they're not, they're not islands, you know, no, doing their one thing. Absolutely not. You know, and um, I've always advocated, obviously, for our community to be a little bit more cooperative in the arts areas, but also I understand survival. And I understand competition, and I understand healthy competition, and I understand the things that it takes to run a program. I've run three, you know, and it. we're all looking for the same dollar bill, but that does not mean that we have to kick someone hard mm-hmm. in order to do that. We just need to cooperate. We need to cooperate on scheduling. We need to cooperate, you know, on, on the shows that we choose, which we're already really doing. It's not that we're not compatible. It's that we all have something to offer, and we want it to be seen. You know, it's human nature. Let's talk about the funding aspect of it, Mm because I know that's something that all the different companies are thinking about. Amarillo has so much support, but it's coming from, you know, a generation that has always supported the arts that grew up, and and that generation is aging. Yes. You work with children. You work with young families. How, and whether this is about your company or about in general, you know, how do the arts in Amarillo need to reach out to a younger group of donors, a younger group of supporters, um, a younger group of audience members to perpetuate that here in Amarillo? Once again, I think it's the choice that we present them. And I think that that most are doing that, like, you know, ALT's adventure-based, you know, their theater Presents a little pretty, bit more experimental, yes, a little bit more right, and and you know even even our universities like AC does some some pretty um, avant garde things in their in their menu of you know of theatrical presentations so that we can offer those things to that younger spirit. But we also have to remember that the donor base is aging, and a lot of the you know the dollar bills that have been available to all of us are no longer. Also, you have to consider the oil problem that mm-hmm. we have here, you know, the, the the drop in the oil prices and the agriculture and how that affects us, because it affects the arts. It affects 
how we And that we was a lived. big part of the funding and initially for a lot yes, of these. Yes, it was a big part of the funding. And when that is gone, then your funding base has to be more creative. You have to really look for developmental opportunities. You know, you have to reach out. And, and as we say in a cliche fashion, you've got to think out of the box, outside the box, so that you can get something that draws them to you. And that's a generalized term. You know, that's all of us go through that. Mm -hmm. What's next for you? I know that you're in a period now of transition, whether Mm -hmm. you want to call it retirement or just sort of, you know, cutting back on a lot of the work that you do. So, So tell me what your future holds here. My future holds really exciting things. I mean, um, right now, uh, by May 6th, my time with the conservatory um, will be through uh, by choice. I really need to cut back, and um, I think that it's time to move so that other people can take hold, you know, for one thing. But that doesn't mean that I don't continue to serve the community in some form or fashion. Um, summer Youth Musical, it will be the last. I've done that for 16 years, mm-hmm. founded it with Chris Miller, have loved every minute of it, but I can always tell, as I said before, when it's time to do something different. Wayne and I really want to travel. We want to see our kids more, you know, and that is primary to the decision. We're 75. Yeah. So, but next year, I'm really looking forward to next year because I have things already booked. But it's things that don't take 24-7. You know, they don't take raising money from zero to 100000 It lets me sit back and have a good time in theater rather than having a good time in theater and providing other people's good times. Right. Being responsible for everybody <laughs> Right, else. for everybody else. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. You returned to Amarillo yes. as a young figure skater yes. to recuperate. Yes. And now you're 75 and you're still here. So I know. why did you stay? I love it. I love it here. Full stop. That's that's the answer. Yeah, I love it here. And, you know, and my family, um, I've just had a really good life here. I love giving back to the community. Um, you know, I'm really a community advocate. I mean, I'm a local advocate. And, you know, ask the people with whom I work. I am a local advocate. And I believe in the talent here. I believe in what can happen from here. You know, I, I always say, you know, kids, you can get someplace from here. Believe it or not. You've you've had students come through your oh, program that are now performing oh, Lord, in New yes. York. And oh, all over yeah, the place. all over the place. They're everywhere. They've been on tour. You know, they're in New York City right now. They're um, in Denver. They're in Seattle. I mean, they're all over Chicago. Come on. You know, that's a hot spot. I'm so proud of them, you know, and it really, actually, they're, they're a bunch from here that are out there working professionally, you know, and that's what we teach them. All of us teach them. Go out and work. Be a working actor. You don't look for the stardom because stardom is fleeting, mm-hmm. but you be a working actor, and that's what they're doing, and they're producing, and they're writing, and, you know, they're, they're, they're doing what they we're taught to do. Because they grew up in a place that, that fostered that sort of creativity. Yes. Whether people expect it or not, that's yeah. what happens here. Yes, it does. And I'm guaranteeing you it does. The lead sponsor of Hey Amarillo is ROI Online. Now, I come from a marketing background. And during my career, I learned two things. Number one, marketing is essential. Because it's the story you tell the world about your company. And number two, marketing is usually the last thing on your mind when you're running a business. 
Maybe you're leading a company, you're, you've got to be thinking strategically, or maybe you're deeply involved in some form of production. Whatever the case, you don't have time for the details of marketing. You don't have time to do social media or build an email list or keep a website up to date. That's why you need ROI Online. This local group of marketing experts will come alongside your business to help tell your story. So you get an entire team of people who are invested in building your brand, but you don't have to manage them. You don't have to babysit them. They'll do the heavy lifting while you focus on the bigger picture. And the results speak for themselves. To learn more about how ROI Online can help your business, visit ROIOnline.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. Okay, I'm back with Linda Hughes of AC Conservatory Theater and the Summer Youth Musical. Linda, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. What I'm going to do is ask you eight straight questions. Uh, your job is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you would like to. Sounds good to me. Okay. This is not one that I've asked of other guests, but okay. I've, I've got a couple specifically for you. Okay, good. What is your favorite musical or play for children, for children to perform? Mm. It's The Secret Garden. And I'm lucky Which enough. my brother performed in yes. when he was in your yes. company in high school, I yes, believe. Yes, he did. I'm remounting it. Uh, we were lucky enough to get the Texas premiere of the first time, when it first went off Broadway, the first time. It's being um, remounted and is going to be back on Broadway. So we were lucky enough once again to get the rights to perform it. I'm so excited. The Secret Garden, I grew up with that book. And when I first heard the music, I was just blown away. It is a beautiful score. It's a beautiful book. Um, doesn't teach a lot of lessons, it tells a good story. And in the process, it teaches us about ourselves because every one of those characters had to look and kind of make a reanalysis of what it was that they really wanted and what they had been through. Do you think kids respond to a story better than one that is to teach a lesson? I mean, do you think that that's more effective for, for really engaging I kids as actors? I think that storytelling, if it's done right, and it's visually enhancing and, you know, and it's clear, the storytelling has to be clear. I think that they respond to that. They will laugh at these other things. They will laugh and they will have a good time, but they will take that storytelling with them. Okay. And hopefully it will influence even to get them to read. Yeah, which, which is good. <laughs> which is it's, a lost art. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite musical or play just in general? Oh, my Whether, gosh. As a performer, as an adult, whatever. Les Mis. Les Mis? Mm -hmm. um, I got to direct it twice. Um, saw it in its original format when it first came to New York. I was, in, I was in New York and got to see it. Was absolutely blown away. Oh, my goodness gracious. Could not even believe that anything like that could ever be written, produced, performed as brilliantly as it was. I took that love from New York and, and you know, since I was back here. First, Summer Youth Musical was Les Mis. And then I redirected it, um, gosh, eight years ago, nine years ago. Do you have a particular song or character that you really identify with? Mm -hmm. uh, bring Him Home for one, which is just fabulous. And I got to work with Craig Shulman when the opera did it. I was working with him in the piece. And to hear him sing, bring him home, just drops to your knees. I mean, it is just so beautiful. Also, all of Eponine's music, but bring him home really, really is so much a part of that, okay. of that production. This is a question now that I've asked every guest. Mm -hmm. What does this area have too much of? Wind. 
That's a a not uncommon answer. Are you serious? It really does. My goodness gracious. I hate wind. And, you know, why am I living here? Because I hate wind. Because I live here and I hate wind. What does this area not have enough of? Really comfortable, small bookstores. Okay. I'm a real fan of the burrowing owl down in Canyon. Right. Because it's so fun and it's just intimate and you know you can go there you can sit you can read you can look you can you know feel good you can look through good book choices but I think we I really think we need it I miss it but I'm a book person see everybody not everybody else by any means but there are so many people who now depend on you know their kindles or whatever it is these technology that I don't use you like a good paper I like a good book book. like a good book as a writer i can second that. yes what is your all-time favorite local restaurant ohms ohms down oh downtown and we're we're downtown so much in the summer and also furby's and these are two completely different very areas. yeah very different but we're downtown so much and we eat lunch you know, uh, as a staff from Summer Youth Musical, we, we'll choose a day and we'll we'll go eat. But Ohms and their Cajun uh, meatloaf is to die for. Okay. And over at Furby's, it's a uh, fried okra. I want to ask you a question as as a regular um, of Ohms. Yes. When I was in high school, we called it Ohms. Yes. Today, most people call it OHMS. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a point where the pronunciation or the description kind of shifted, or is that more of a generational thing? I think it's generational. All right. Yeah. It, I still call it Ohms. Yep. I will always that's, call it That's what I always want to call it. But yeah. then I've heard people who actually work there sure. refer to it as OHMS. Yes, so yes, they do. Everybody has their own preference. Yeah, and they guess. can do what they want. <laughs> How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? As my home, number one, by choice. Um, also, I always talk about the sunsets because I think that is spectacular. People are so friendly here. If you really, really think about it, people are very friendly here. And I think that that is representative of, you know, so many things. I also say that if they want to see for miles and miles and miles and miles, you know, and not to feel claustrophobic, shut in by trees, that we can give that to them right here in Old Mm -hmm. Amarillo. Mm -hmm. Talk about the Paladura Canyon some, too, because that is kind of a phenomenon. And it's because of Texas. The yes. musical is tied so closely yes. to the arts community. Yes, and totally. And I work with all those guys. Because you've been associated with Amarillo College for yes. so many years, um, what do you love most about Amarillo College? I mean, what, what role does it play here? Well, first of all, the education is incredible. The the teaching staff, you know, all the professors, they're, they're really good at what they do. It's been really good to me because it's provided a place for something that was a little out of the ordinary, Mm -hmm. they were willing to take a chance. And I think that that's what they do. They take a chance. Dr. Hart right now um, is a very good friend of mine, and he really has a vision. And I can see, I can see where it's going, and I can see what he's doing. Very involved in the community, which, as you know, I'm part of that mindset. I love it. I love it's really interesting. I love the oldness of the buildings, which really sounds weird. But I work in one of the oldest buildings on that campus, mm-hmm. built in 1935, you know, 1934. And just the feel of the community, the AC community, is very giving. I just love it. And I have for 27 of my adult years. That, that concludes my eight straight questions. Great. Um, Linda, I like to close every episode by asking my guest 
just to make an endorsement of something okay. related to the city, related to the area that you want listeners to know about or experience. Um, so what would your endorsement be? Well, I would obviously endorse um, Emerald College Conservatory Theater because I founded it and I want it to thrive. Even after you've even after away I'm from gone, it. I want it to to thrive. Um, you know, I'm just of that mindset. Um, the acts when I when I shut it down, I shut it down because I didn't think it was necessary for someone to have to follow the history of 21 years. You know, I, I think that that is something. Obviously, I want to endorse. Also, want to endorse Emerald Community Market. Uh, I think that that is a wonderful kind of new thing for us, mm -hmm. even though it's been going on two summers. Wayne and I participate in that, and it's very well run, very well attended. But I really like to talk about it because it is something that Amarillo has that other places have, but it's just, it's it's a community effort, once again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a community effort, and uh, I love it down there. It's great. Y'all need to come down and visit us in the summertime. What, uh, what do you do there? Well... <laughs> Wayne does um, woodwork. I mean, he he's a tur wood turner, and I do jewelry, um, and it's all original pieces. Um, I paint folk art pieces, okay. birdhouses, uh, walking sticks, canes, you name it. And we're out there as vendors. What is your booth called? Can uh, it's Canyon Rim Company. Okay. Yeah. Canyon Rim. So we're summer, there. Look for Canyon Rim Company. You've got it. Linda, I, I thank you so much for being on the, the show. Thank you, Jason. It's been my pleasure. And that concludes the episode. I wanted to say thanks to ROI for sponsoring the show. Uh, and thanks especially to Linda Hughes for sitting down with me. You can learn more about the Summer Youth Musical. Uh, this, this summer, it's July 6th through 8th, and they're performing The Secret Garden, uh, which Linda talked so lovingly about. This is the final year of the Summer Youth Musical, so you can find out more about it by searching on Facebook for Amarillo College Summer Youth Musical. Thanks to Linda for sharing her story. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook or anywhere uh, you listen to podcasts. Spread the word about the show. My name is Jason Boyette. I'll see you next week.